I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. You're listening to part one of the 50th episode of Wait, What? And in it, Graham McMillan and I discuss Daredevil number one, the Defenders relaunch, incognito and expectations in comic careers, the careers of Jim's Starlin and Shooter, Alan Moore's Captain Britain, and more. It's just over an hour of comic book chatter, with part two being right around the corner. We hope you enjoy and as always, thanks for listening. Happy episode 50, kind of, even though it's not really the 50th, Jeff Lester. <laughs> and to you, Graham. And to you. And to Gus Gus and or Ernie, who appear to be barking in the background. That would be both of them. Uh, and I believe it's because a FedEx man might be coming to our door with something, but God knows what. <laughs> That's hilarious. How soon do they start barking? When he's like a quarter of a mile away, or pretty much um, as soon as the van stops, I can hear the van stop outside, <laughs> and then they're like, "Something stopped outside our door." <laughs> we it's must like an air warning system. Yeah. The, it really yesterday, is. I was. Um, I went out to, I think I just went out to get the mail or something. I went out for no real reason. And the dog didn't hear me go out, but suddenly realized someone was on the porch. And Ernie runs and starts barking and opens the door to me. And pretty much he gives me, uh, oh, it's you. Never mind, look. And just walked away in silence. (laughs) Why would I want to reinstall WordPress here? I think you should reinstall WordPress. What are you installing WordPress on in the first place? Well, you know, it's it's one of those situations where because I just went and posted uh, Wait What to the uh, Savage Critic website. Um, yes. I was on our delightful WordPress uh, update dashboard. Oh, oh, God, have you killed Savage Critic? I hope not. But I've but just see- been to, I just went to it. It says briefly unavailable for scheduled maintenance. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing. Like, Jeff Lester, you've killed Savage Critics. Oh, I know no, it's, it's back, back up. It's back. <laughs> <laughs> Such a horrible bastard sometimes. <laughs> I was so sweaty palmed about pushing that update button too, because as far as I'm concerned, that shouldn't be my call. But I remember that Kate was like, "Yeah, just just update for God's sakes." Would you guys update? And clearly, <laughs> Hibbs has been avoiding it. He will not push that button because that motherfucker's posted like over the last two days, and clearly sees all that stuff and just chooses not to. Well, I think that I think that's the way to go. To be perfectly honest. Well, of course you think that too, because that's right. You posted something recently. You must have ignored the update button as well. It's not even ignoring. Sometimes I just don't see it. Like you should see my own blog. It's got like forty-two updates, and I'm like, oh, I should do something about it, shouldn't I? I just don't see it. <laughs> ah, it's just so easy for you people. I can see nothing else. So- anyway, how the devil are you, sir? Uh, I how the, did you say how the devil? I am yes. Daredevil. In fact, I'm Daredevil number one. Thanks for De- what, what did you think? Amazing, isn't it? Really good, isn't it? Oh my god! I read it last week and I was just—it was so so great. And so we were walking back from breakfast in the neighborhood, and we stopped in at the local comic store that also sells coffee. So consequently, it's open at like. 8 a.m. in the morning. And my thing is, if you're walking past a comic book store at 8 a.m. in the morning and it's open, you kind of have to go in, you know? So 
I went in and he had, and I had asked Hibbs to hold me um, a copy of Daredevil number one, and I hadn't heard back from him, but I had read it via other means, and I'm like, I want a hard copy of this. You know, it's like, this is a book. I wanted to reread it before we talked again, and I just wanted it in the collection, you know? Yeah. So I walk in there, and there's two copies right at the front counter, you know, prominently displayed. And there's a guy talking to the, the front counter clerk, who's also the, the owner of Caffeinated Comics. Uh, anyway, this guy is buying uh, the soft cover of, I think it's volume two of Casanova. And I kind of. You're like, no. Yeah, no, <laughs> I actually. <laughs> I didn't say that. I just walked up to him and I, I said, excuse me, I'm really sorry. I said, have you read Daredevil number one? And he's like, no. And I'm like, you know what? you should. And I picked it up and I just opened it and started turning pages. And I'm like, if you like Casanova, you will like this comic, you know? Really? That's the connection you make? Casanova? Yeah. Well, because to me, um, Casanova is where, uh, Fraction in, and his collaborators are so, there's, there's a lot of, experimentalism on the page yeah Yeah. their variants it's like they're super in sync the pages are just gorgeously colored and there's just a real the storytelling engine itself is just dynamic and fresh and that's that's the feeling that i got i got from daredevil number one where the storytelling is lovely and there's just so many moments there's just moments where like the scene where matt's on the rooftop talking to that woman it's so gorgeously colored i thought that i was just like look you just you know just look at this i think if you like that you'll really like this and he totally ended up buying the uh, buying the copy and leaving the store with it wait but you said there's two copies i bought the other one yes okay that's good i I thought for a second you're going to tell me that you actually managed to talk another guy into buying your copy of daredevil no 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 no. which you know uh of course you know, Edie was like, wait, but you said you already read this. And I'm like, yes. And she's like, then why are you? I'm like, shh. You know, it's very hard. Just because. Oh, and you know, here's something that's actually kind of great, too, is um, so I'm in the process of writing our entry for, for episode 49 and putting on the Savage Critics. And I'm here in the living room at my at my desktop uh, writing stuff. Edie came in and asked me some questions about uh, stuff this afternoon because as she puts it, you and Graham are going to be podcasting for like seven hours. So I wanted to make sure <laughs> there's something, I might be gone. I wanted to make sure that you need anything. I might be leaving at some point. Yeah, totally, totally. And I know you'll probably need like a catheter and a sponge bath by the time I come back because it'll be 67 hours from now. But is there anything else you need? Anyway, so we we ran through that. And I'm like, I got to, yes, I've got to post this thing. So, So she's behind me sitting on the couch and I hear her flip through something and I'm still writing and writing and writing. And I just figured she was browsing one of the magazines on the coffee table or something. And I don't know, it's like maybe five minutes, seven minutes later, I turn around and she's like three quarters of the way through daredevil number one. And she's been, she read the entire issue basically. And was like, I really liked it. That was that was good. Actually, she didn't finish it. She's like, I gotta go, but I'm gonna come back and finish this because I'm really enjoying it. This is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, really, really good. So seriously, Daredevil number one. It's kind of, it's sort of frustrating that you know 
it's coming out uh, from the dysfunctional Peckerwoods at Marvel, but, uh, you know, because I really am just so, like, not down with the stuff that they're doing and talking these days. But a good what, comic what, is a good what comic. are they doing differently than what they've been doing before? Well, I know, but I, but I, I just find them sort of dickish and more insufferable. Like, that whole Flashpoint you know, cover incentive but thing. But they, they did that last year. I, mean, I know, and I, I hated that... it then. The fact that they went back and did it this time, I don't know. It just seems like there's kind of... Because remember last time they kind of did this whole like, oh, but this is just friendly competition and everybody does it. And it just kind of struck me like dickish bullying. There was something where they went back and did it this time where I was just like, this is just gross. Like, no other professionals in any other industry do this no no other professionals in this industry do, do it it's just something that marvel does that they seem to think is awesome and that i guess retailers who like variant covers think is awesome but it just sort of strikes me as kind of like a weird really kind of dickish way to be. i know it, it, it's an incredibly dickish way to be so yeah um and i, uh, I don't know I, I i just that didn't I guess didn't impact me because they'd done it before. I, I more than anything, it just kind of made me think you've got nothing left. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I, everything I'm hearing from Marvel recently is just making me think you're you're just really tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Almost feeling sorry for them. The the whole thing about the the fearless miniseries is like that's quite clearly Bright's day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> holy crap. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Your two, like your two big pieces of news from San Diego are you're copying Superman Earth One, and you're copying Brightest Day. Yeah, but I don't. Well, okay. Here's my thing, Graham. Is I think you are a dangerous instigator. <laughs> you really are. What? You, what? Because you, you totally. Well, because I totally do this. You. Have like one thing that made a super strong impression on me when you and I were talking with Hibbs. Both of you guys said, I'm really worried about what Marvel's going to do in reaction to this. Yes. And then I heard the sound of you going, (laughs) moving your hands. As you're like, oh, I'm so scared about what they're going to do. And every other announcement, you're like, really, Marvel? Is that all you've got? Is that it? You're so tired. I almost feel sorry for you. I'm just like, oh, man, you're totally like that guy in the pub who's like, oh, I hope some fights don't break out. And it's like, really? You're just going to sit there and take that? You're really just going to sit no, there and no, take no, That's okay. I pity you. But it's, it's not, all right. It's not that type of investigation. Uh, I don't know. I just I, – I am I am still worried that Marvel is one of these days going to do a nuclear option. But – yes. But I also, the more they're doing, the more I don't think they are. And also, the more I think that the DC News has completely caught them off guard. Mm-hmm. And they're just sort of spinning around being like, well, what can we do? What can we do? Oh, oh this. This worked for someone else. And they have no, they have no ideas. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, it's just, they're so, I mean, relaunching the Hulk again. Great, because the last relaunch of the Hulk was, what, four years ago? Less? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or the Defenders. First of all, how many Defender series have there been? Right. But also, it's a Defenders relaunch, and I love the Defenders. Mm -hmm. But it's a Defenders relaunch. 
and that and the fearless and it's but I come on, we can rewind back in time just five months ago and go and like daredevil really shouldn't we let this one sit you know and and i Believe me, I the me of five months ago, I was saying like, okay, well, Wade, sure, and but it wasn't until you actually saw the pages coming out, or at least for me, that I was like, okay, I've got to have this book. Well, yeah, it, it was one of those things where you're like, Daredevil, really? But at the same time, that's a great creative team. Do you know what I mean? Right. But I, I don't even get that with the Defenders one. Yeah. I well, get a part of the reason is I get. Oh, look, it's the Uncanny X-Men team doing Defenders. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There should be some some form of excitement there that isn't, I have seen this before. And almost every permutation of the Defenders news I've seen before. I've seen that creative team work together before. Uh-huh. I've seen the Defenders many, many times before. But you don't I've, think that Fractions, Lucy, Goosey, This Is Me, touring the fringes of the Marvel Universe and... No, because that sounds like a Casey line. What The, the one thing I did make me interested was... <laughs> um, I was really interested by him basically saying, I'm trying to get in the same mindset as Gardner Fox, John Broom, uh, Kirby and Arnold Drake. And part of it was, I, I read that and I said this new drama. I read that and I was like, oh, they're all DC writers. Yeah, that seemed weirdly disingenuous to me. Oh, I, 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 being a big fan of calling Matt Fraction disingenuous, um, I'm going to <laughs> blow your mind by saying, I think he means that. I think those are the writers he wants to do. Mm-hmm. I think much more than he, he would, like, if he ever came out and said something like, you know, I really was influenced by Claremont's run on the X-Men. I don't think you were. I do believe that you were influenced by Arm Drake. Hmm. Yeah. Didn't he? Was it not Fraction did a spectacular series of posts about the original Doom Patrol run? Yeah. Am I getting mixed up? Yeah. No, 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 no. no. It was Fraction. Absolutely, absolutely. No, 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 no. Let's put it this way: I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you in that regard. It just seems really odd to me that it's like we're doing a tour of the Marvel universe, and even says something like, "So, like, you know, I'm making." making the Dotsons change their art up so that, like, one arc, it's, you know, it's going to be in, like, Don McGregor's Black Panther and the other one, you know, Wakanda, and it's going to, you know, and so he's talking about, like, basically revisiting all these elements or touring these odd little corners of the Marvel Universe that were specifically created by very unique, individual, named creators that he then makes a process not to name. You know, like if you're going to be talking about Adam Warlock, but you're not going to be talking about Jim Starlin, but instead you're doing Gardner Fox, like there's something kind of weirdly disingenuous. To that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe his point is, is what he wants to do is revisit those things and his way of just not making it a pastiche is coming at it from a different angle, which would be the broom or fox angle or something like that. But it just, I had this immediate reaction of of it it seems it seems weird to be a dude as tuned into uh comic history as you are and talk about the defenders and then not really mention like Steve Gerber you know what i mean or even Englehart but instead drop a bunch of dudes who like you know again were at a competitor doing utterly different books like no but but that's I can see why you say it's disingenuous, but I also don't think that necessarily negates what he's saying. I think you can say, I want to do a 
weird shit idea heavy not character heavy book with mm-hmm. this book which is mm-hmm. how I took it oh I see so idea heavy as opposed to character I don't know man alright because yeah. Gerber don't get me wrong Gerber was a smart writer but mm-hmm. Gerber stuff to me was always more rooted in character than like uh, Gardner Fox yeah, I suppose. I mean, Engelhardt definitely was. Yeah, but I, well, I mean, part of me is like, kind of like, well, that's kind of the building. That's where you started from with Marvel, you know? No, but that's what I'm saying. I think, I think it's telling that he listed DC writers mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he might genuinely, and I hope he's genuinely, um, be trying to do a DC book, mm-hmm. and not only a DC book, but like a DC Silver Age book updated. And that would be an interesting read. And I think, for example, Casanova shows that he could do it. Oh, yeah. Sure, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's I think it's possible for him to do that book. Whether I think he will uh, and not... See, this is the sad you know, thing. That's because, the thing. And not come up yeah. with, like, you know... Because the, the difference between how Fraction sold Fear Itself and Fear Itself as a reality, or Thor even more so. Yeah. Um is vast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because remember, Thor, he was like, yeah, it's going to be Kirby meets Simonson. And then you read Thor, and you're like, this is nothing like Kirby and Simonson. This is someone who has maybe heard the names Kirby and Simonson and thought that they would write really boring comics. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing Kirby and Simonson about Fraction Thor. Mm-hmm. At all, but I'll, those I'll are take the names, word out of for it. But those yeah. are the names he name drops mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. he's talking about his Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're I saying he's doing a pretty good Gardner Fox Thor. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's doing. He's doing an awesome Gardner. No, he's, he's doing a terrible, terrible Thor in general. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if he's name dropping Gardner Fox and Arnold Drake and who was the other writer? God damn it, this John Broom. Broom. John Broom. Yeah. Um, and Kirby. That speaks to I like I can imagine what comics he's talking about, mm-hmm. and they are very idea driven. Mm-hmm. Not even so much plot driven, mm-hmm. um, but miles away from the Marvel comic as we know it. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that being something that he, because of Casanova, could write. Mm-hmm. And I can also imagine it as something that could work as a Defenders book. But I'm not sure I can believe he's going to do it based upon his past history of saying, this is what I'm doing, and then reading the book and being like, that's not what you said you were doing. Yeah, I was going to, I mean, that's sort of the part where I keep snickering is how sad it is that in just a couple of years, you know, Fraction has gone from the guy who we're like, oh, yeah, he could totally do that. He could totally slam dunk this to being like, well, yeah, we'll see, you know? (laughs) That's the. No, but you have that, to. That's the path mm-hmm. that he, he created for himself. But also, that's the path that like Marvel creators and DC creators, but DC creators almost don't have that level of... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We have Not, no autonomy. <laughs> no, but also off that level of expectation. Mm-hmm. Outside of Morrison, mm-hmm. really, do you expect a lot from DC writers? Do you know what I mean? But, In a way that, like, when Fraction went to Marvel, you were like, oh, my God, Casanova was good. You know, like, you know, the first couple of missions of Iron Fist were great. I'm really looking forward to big things from this guy. And I can't think of a, a guy who goes to DC who's really had that. Scott Snyder, maybe? 
Well, I was about to say Snyder, uh, Buyer? Robertson. You know, I, I but, think... did, but did Robertson really have it? And I love what he's done. Mm-hmm. But did did he really have the name Cache from Cinderella and iZombie, which were his two comics before? No, but he was blowing up pretty quick until he got until he's not doing work for them anymore. But I think I think DC has. Um, perhaps... I think DC, I think DC builds talents up. Yes, I think Marvel's the ones where they go where they have an expectation. Yeah, we'll see. But that so, in other words, it's just what you're saying is is Marvel's awesome at like cherry picking talent. Yes, you know, DC just sort of filters them through the mill, and whatever survives the the threshing process, Marvel goes, oh, hey, these guys are pretty. We should think about doing something with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Marvel also gets people from the Indies as well. You know, Fraction didn't really go through a DC process. Fraction Fraction came from Image essentially, and, and AIT. Yeah, and Brubaker. I mean, you know. But yeah, no, it's true. I, it, it's true. I mean, Brubaker, Bendis, and Fraction, and Hickman, actually, all really strong indie guys who came in from, from the indie neck of the woods. Usually, But here's the thing. All, all of them came in. All of them had high expectations. And then all of them, in a surprisingly quick, or a surprisingly short amount of time, started churning out material that disappointed the people who had the high expectations. You know what? I'm totally going to uh, exclude Brew... I'm actually going to say that Brubaker and Bendis, frankly... No, you're, you're actually, you're entirely right. Brew, yeah. Brubaker and I is completely unfair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just a much, much longer arc or trajectory or process. And even then, I think the Brubakers escaped the... Brubaker is the exception that proves the rule because Brubaker's... Even his cap, when I don't like it, is still really good. Oh, my God. I don't know if you, like, remember I mentioned that AV Club uh, interview with him uh, at the end uh, with Brubaker um, yeah, yeah. last week. Like, if you, that is the only, like, the comments over at the Onion AV Club uh, are, you are like, just a, uh, just a crazy pit. It's just a den of crazy. It's a bunch of people looking to amuse themselves or each other or score cheap shots. I mean, it's it's a pretty harsh commentary board. Some of it not entirely serious, but some of it, you know, just trolling for attention. But the Brubaker one is the closest I've ever seen to an, to an interview where the comments were so unfailingly um, just praiseworthy just everyone was ladling on the praise for him and i I totally get it but i mean like people going all the way back and talking about sleeper and people talking about current arc of criminal and everyone just being in various stages of like this guy has never steered me wrong which is here's the thing but brubaker hasn't gone shit for a better word like he's had stuff that has been disappointing like i'd say his x-men runs disappointing yeah or his secret adventures run sure yeah but I, I, I haven't read the second half of it. I've only read the first half, and that was nothing special. But at the same time, had well, it enough wasn't terrible. Ha- but yeah. no, I had enough Engelhard in it to mm-hmm. amuse me. Do you know what I mean? The first <laughs> no, half, I was, was the like, same way. He's, he's doing Roxon, and he's right. doing Serpent Crown. Okay. Well, yeah. For the first you know, two or three like issues, the, I was like, "This is going to be awesome." And then the last the three, I'm like, "Really stay together." But yes, I, no, it's got enough. Um, <laughs> but. No, but seriously, he's had like maybe his X Men was disappointing, mm-hmm. and Secret Avengers. And like I say, like I fall in and out of Captain America. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but he's never done anything bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can no, point to almost everyone else and be like, oh dear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with Brubaker, you kind of point to it and be like, he tried and it didn't work. Right. As opposed to, that's just bad. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I, yeah. Well, what? What's just bad? I, I'm trying I really, to think. I really want you to name something that's like everyone else loves. You're like, well, Captain America. Actually, Captain <laughs> exactly. America Death of Captain America. No, there was something where I thought that where I thought was just kind of bad, and I don't. I think it was probably a DC thing, which makes it outside of the realm of this. So, yeah, let's pretend I didn't uh, stammer there, and we can go back. And if I think of it, I'll I'll pounce on it. But... I really want you to say what it is. I'm like, well, it's bad. No, I'm I'm really not <laughs> sure. I mean, I do remember like I put there was a book where I put down, and I was just like, mm, that was not. I had hopes, and but I don't. I honestly couldn't tell you what it was. Well, you know, honestly, no. I think well, was it, it was it his authority role? Mm, no, I mean, again, like the DC stuff, I think almost doesn't count. But yeah, uh, Authority Revolutions was, but no, because I'm specifically thinking from the context of Marvel. I will be honest. I thought that uh, Incognito was disappointing, um, and part of that may be that I loved Criminal like a lot. Uh, but so when we switched into Incognito, the first three, four issues, I was really down with it. And by the last two issues, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't I don't like this. And I mean, I, I, I still haven't read the sequel as a result. Like it was I mean, here's a team that I like doing an idea that I really like. Uh, and the first set of executions were fine. And then the last third of it turned into a Hollywood screenplay in a really big by the numbers way that I can't help but feel that that Brubaker was aware of. And again, he, here's something where I almost defend Brubaker for things I condemn other people for. Mm-hmm. Incognito for me read on some level, and I have no idea how conscious he was of this, as Brubaker doing Mark Miller. Mm-hmm. And so I almost forgive him for that, if that makes sense, because that's what Miller would do. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, but I don't I don't know. It's interesting because I don't get that sense that he was I don't know. It, it's something let's put it this way. When you compare it to Miller, I actually think that for the most I mean this I think Brew Baker has so much craft under his belt that even his most disappointing stuff holds together. Like I think the incognito stuff actually kind of really does become weak sauce by the end of it but not terribly in the first four issues like you said like it's not it's not flat out terrible it's just kind of like yeah but i don't know i'm really like i don't i don't think that he was trying to do miller in a way of like oh i'm trying to comment on or pastiche or parody it really felt to me incognito felt to me like he's like i would really like mark miller dollars please could i have mark Uh, miller dollars what i would like if i did criminal but made it like wanted i wonder if that could work right i mean it totally had that element of there was some point where i i honestly felt and i'm sure this is absolutely you know one hundred and 30% 30% not the case but I really felt like at some point in there he got the sleeper option news and went mm, I've got to make this third act a oh, little more cinematical you know what's, you and me are both really cynical because what's really funny is when Ignatius was announced and it was after the sleeper news mm-hmm. I remember thinking well I wonder if he's trying to get another movie right right yeah 
Right. Exactly. And it reads like it. It really does read like, well, I should say to me, the last third reads like it. So, um, and maybe if I went back and reread it, but he had a really kind of, he had some meta stuff going on in the first third of Incognito that I was looking forward to seeing how it was going to play out. And it really just kind of deflated, I thought, but you know, anyway, I feel like we're getting our getting very far away from the main point, which is, um, you know, Brubaker, but also, you know, Bendis, as much as he drives me up a wall now, and I will probably complain about him in this podcast too. Uh, I, I <laughs> start think, your kind of unclog, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. I think he really did a pretty solid job. He showed some formidable chops and produced like many years of great comics. Sure, but I, I think I think Bendis has had periods of schlock. Oh, he does stuff that actually I just... He, Makes your eyes bleed. Oh, God. I mean, you know, my, my big complaint it used to be about American film directors in Hollywood was that they aged backwards in time, you know? Like... <laughs> Because uh, all of them, if you look at the sort of shit that Steven Spielberg was doing at the start of his career, it seems really kind of thoughtful and well-observed and wise and maybe so, a little So what you're saying is you don't want to go and see War Horse then? Yeah, uh, I totally. I mean, like the, the, the Spielberg, Scorsese, Lucas. Oh, God, have you seen the trailer for Hugo? No, I haven't. Oh, don't. It will, it will make you cry. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, right? The new Scorsese film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's astounding that it's actually Martin Scorsese and not a joke. Yeah, I, I mean, believe it. It's it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, some of those guys, if you're lucky, they sort of maybe can eventually hang out and become pale shadows of their former selves. But for the longest time, like American film directors, they just... They started out great, and then they just became bad parodies of themselves. Uh, and I kind of feel that that's the way it is with Bendis, where Bendis started out and, you know, he was ambitious and some of his stuff didn't pan out. But, you know, I honestly thought that, um, you know, his first couple of arcs on uh, Ultimate Spider-Man were way more satisfying than what he did with, like, I don't know, Jinx. You know, like, or Torso. Torso, I thought, was a big old mess. Sure, but at the same time, I think that Bendis has done an awful lot of good stuff at Marvel. No, that's what I'm saying. But He came in and did stronger stuff than I thought he was doing. I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. but I think that he comes and goes. I don't think you can say... I think, in general, if you're, like, grading the quality of his work at a graph, it would be a downward trend. Uh Uh-huh. Not a straight line down. I agree. I agree. With yeah, I mean, like, every now and again, you're up. like, that's great. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and yet, I feel like those spikes get further and further spaced apart. And also, it's to the point where my perception of him is somebody, you know, as a gutter with occasional sharp spikes, as opposed to, you know, a mountain range with occasional steep drops. You know, and that's that's kind of a shame because for a long time it used to be the other way around. And as we were saying, like Hickman, who has not been around at Marvel very long, everything that I read by him is kind of meh with the occasional bit of, oh, that could be interesting, you know? Yeah, but do you not find, I find Hickman's stuff to be 
uh, weirdly, you have to bring at least half the work to it to enjoy it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, the suggestion of awesome is there. Mm-hmm. But you always have to fill in the gaps. Mm. Maybe. I mean... This, this, is my, this is my idea as to why other people think that Hickman is a god, and I just don't get it. Because I think they're better at filling in the awesome gaps than I am. Or more willing to fill in the awesome gaps than I am. Yeah, I mean, that could be, because certainly, Lord, Lord knows, I had those are the same people who had a, a lot more appreciation for Morrison's recent stuff, and which I run super hot and cold on. I think that it's more just that, um, that uh, to me, it's that these guys are younger, <laughs> generally, and... Well, or that it splits into two groups. You get the you get the guys who are like Hickman seems like he is doing a very traditional, reverent take on the characters while sort of retooling the underpinnings of of what's going on. But I, I think for me, my problem is just Hickman stuff. Is there's not a, enough bang for the buck. It always seems like it's too easily pleased. You know, I I feel like the storytelling is too lax. It's not tight enough. It's way too obvious. There's stuff that we get to where there's emotional beats and stuff where I'm like, okay, not only did I see that coming like three issues ago, but there's no there's no build or there's no twist or when but, it happens, you know. But here's the funny thing, and I think this might be how we read comics versus how other people read comics. Right. You and I will get someone who will be like, oh, I saw that coming three issues ago, and other people will go get to and be like, I saw that coming three issues ago. <laughs> That's how great he is at planning this stuff. <laughs> Have you not noticed that? There's yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. that's really, really, really obvious. Mm-hmm. And at least for me, it gives me no surprise and doesn't seem genuine and seems really artificial. Right. And other people will see that as a plus because it shows how well the thing has been planned. Right. Which I think we were talking in previous episodes a little bit about that. It could be that, yeah, that his... And I'm generally a formalist, so in theory you think that I would dig the... You know, I, I, I've I liked stuff that is way, way more airless than Hickman stuff in terms of how absurdly, meticulously tuned it is. It just strikes me as there's not there's just not enough craft on the page i just feel like his stories he he has stories where at best something's working on maybe two levels and everyone jumps up and down on it but like john's for example really is capable of taking a scene and having three or four different things happen in it and if he is sort of slacking there's kind of only two you know, and so mm-hmm. to me, there's a little bit, and this is sort of the same thing that I found with Fraction is is that fear itself is, you know, putters along, barely having more going on for it than what you're reading. Like he doesn't, he he talks like he's crafted this stuff, but it's very rare that you get a sense that something is being layered enough to have two to serve two or three different purposes in it at once. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But the there's there's ways in which again just to bring it back to Daredevil number one, like there is just a lot of push and pull going on in in the scenes in Daredevil number one. I feel where you have stuff where Wade and uh, either Martine or de- you know depending on who's doing the storytelling, which were both you know uh, exquisite 
you know, uh, Rivera, uh, you know, they've got stuff where it's like, okay, here's like a storytelling surprise, but it's also a character beat that is surprising because it's not what you expect from Matt Murdock. You know, there's a lot of ways in which Daredevil number one plays with the idea of literally being a new beginning in a way. So it's like it's like a number one that really feels like a number one. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It, it just because it's such a hugely different tone. So there's just a variety of different things going on where you're like, OK, this feel this is like satisfying to me. This feels like it's working on multiple levels. And I really feel that there are a lot of guys working nowadays where the sense of expectations on the part of the reader seems so diminished that they're just like, oh, my God, did you see that? That was amazing. That's yeah. exactly what, you know. And it's like, really? Hmm. You know. Okay, so here's a question. Um, after reading Super Gods last week, I went back and start, have been reading through Morrison's Doom Patrol again. Ah. And you can definitely see it's Morrison. It's early period Morrison, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's not significantly advanced beyond, say, Fractions Iron Man. Sure. Do, is the problem that new creators now have the talents but don't have the space to fail or space to experiment in a way that, like, Morrison couldn't do Patrol because no one was reading Doom Patrol? Because we're so determined that people have to be superstars that you you know you go from Iron Fist to suddenly being the writer of Iron Man, Thor, and Fear itself in a matter of like two years. Is the problem that the people are getting promoted too quickly and they, they have to rush for something new? Uh, you know, I, I would say that it's that it's multi- multiple factors. Uh, and to take a slight detour, I had um, my buddy John hooked me up, lent me his copy of Jim Starlin, A Life in Word and Pictures by IDW. I don't know if this is one of the things that you were uh, – you'd gotten comped on. No, I have I no. But, and also, to be honest, I don't really like Jim Starlin, so right. I, I'm not sure it would have appealed to me. Either. Well, I, I'm just checking. Well, this is this is why I was checking because you've never mentioned it before. Because it would be like, oh yeah, that was saying in a box. I was actually going to let <laughs> you know Ernie and Gus Gus use that as a chew toy or something like that. And he, you know, Starlin goes on. He talks about the the fact that he got put on Captain Marvel by Roy Thomas because you know essentially Marvel was in this sudden state of huge expansion and really anybody who could draw was being you know pressed into service and stuff and he he got a chance at at Captain Marvel because Captain Marvel uh, was getting a chance in part because he was in the Kree Scroll War and it it had done well so he was given the book and he really was like I had no idea what I was doing like the story plot would take a major change of course in mid-production I'm quoting him here There was no one looking over my shoulder, so I could pretty much do whatever I liked. Adding guest stars to the books were usually spontaneous decisions that I only later realized probably saved the series from cancellation. Um, And where's the other thing? With each new issue, I was pretty much starting from scratch, had no inkling as to what I was going to do, but I loved the challenge and think I made the best of it. Whatever input I got that month, from pop culture to a trip to the Metropolitan Museum to a conversation over copy coffee determined what was going to be in the issue now i mean he's leaving out things like again sort of in the same way that i i sort of think that 
fraction can be disingenuous by not mentioning Marvel writers while talking about these areas that he's revisiting. Um, you know, Starlin does an amazing job talking about, say, Warlock without mentioning the novels of Michael Moorcock, which is pretty pretty impossible in a lot of ways. But but I do think that he does say, he says, like, I had this, I, you know, no, I just could do whatever I wanted. And the idea was, as long as it was sold, everyone, as long as the sales didn't go down, everyone would leave me alone. And... Well, that, that's actually something that Engelhart said on many occasions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That comics were better back when, essentially, as long as the sales weren't dropping... Right. And you weren't being uh, overly destru- destructive, for mm-hmm. a better way of putting it. Right. Then you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, right. And so there there was that idea of, let's see if I can find the section. Because it's very interesting, the, the guys that he talks about by name and the guys that he talks about without. Um, and he was, let's see here. Where Where's the thing that he talks about? Um by now, okay, so here we are talking about his around the time that he did some Captain Marvel work for Peter David uh, and then for the Captain Marvel series and then he did the Infinity Abyss. Marvel Group editor Tom Brevoort called to ask if I'd do another Infinity whatever kind of miniseries using many of the company's more cosmic characters. I agreed as long as Thanos was part of the mix. After some negotiations, it was decided the cast would include blah, 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 blah. Um... The Affinity Abyss sold quite well, and I was asked to do a mini mini of new series of books Marvel was producing called The End. Um, it, it, and it's it's kind of interesting it, that he says that um, – so he ends up – the conceit was that you were supposed to do an imaginary final issue to a different series. Alan Davis had done an excellent job of one of these stories concerning the Fantastic Four. Editorial wanted me to give the entire Marvel Universe the same treatment. But the concept was never fully explained, and I wasn't receiving the Marvel bundles to see what had already been done along these lines. So I turned in another Infinity-type story plot for consideration. For some reason, no one pointed out to me that I was doing something completely different than what Marvel was requesting, but the project was approved nonetheless. I only caught on that I was way off track when I was more than halfway through this series. To this day, no one from Marvel has ever asked me why I didn't do what they asked for. Fans at conventions have, but no one from Marvel. Uh, Marvel Universe The End sold even better than Infinity Abyss had, and so I was asked to start a Thanos ongoing series. By now, I had come to realize that the Marvel Comics I was currently employed by was nothing like the old Marvel Comics. During the three years or so that I worked with Tom Brevoort, I think I talked to him about three times, always briefly at the beginning of a new project. After that, I was always dealt with one of his myriad assistant editors, few of which whose names I now remember. I'm not much for going to comic book conventions, and I was never invited down to have lunch with any of my editors during this period. In fact, during the time frame, the overwhelming majority of communication I had with Marvel was through email. Um, That was fine with me. I wasn't looking to make new friends. I only wanted to write and draw comics. What I didn't realize was that I wasn't playing the political game that the job now required. The success of the Thanos story series would put everything in much clearer perspective for me. And then he goes on to basically talk about how he ended up being told, like, essentially a stage came where he wanted to use Warlock in the Thanos series, and they told him no. And he's like, what? And they're like, yeah. First, And they sort of told him, like, oh, there's another person who's using it 
using Warlock and we have ideas for the character. And then when he checked later on, they're like, no, we don't really have anybody, but we've got plans for it. And he was like, why won't you let me use this character? And they're like, hey, if you don't like it, you can always quit. And he's like, so I did. Wow. Yeah. I but mean, at the same time, I feel he's almost being um, hypocritical by saying, you know, when I started off, as long as the sales were up, then everyone let me do what I wanted. And then we'd be like, well, no one, no editor talked to me. Right. Actually, it's I noticed like, that while reading that like, out, too. It's like, huh. Wait, so what, what's the problem with that? Would you want interest to talk to me or not? Well, and to be fair, there's a long period in there where he's doing Dreadstar for Epic, for Archie Goodwin and Joe Duffy, and he spends a lot of time talking about how they were like family. So Starlin, part of the problem with Starlin's book is he really rushes through everything. His text, it's like 90% art and, you know... 10% screed and he really doesn't talk about you know you just sort of infer like okay there was the period where he was being left wildly alone there was the period where he had to work with Jim Shooter on stuff there was the period where Archie Goodwin came in and he became Archie became his editor and was like family but at no stage do you really get the sense of Starlin talking about how it affects him and it's I mean I was kind of hoping that we would have a section of this podcast where we could talk about Jim Shooter a little bit. Um, I was I was going to say, it, have you been reading Jim Shooter's blog? I read your blog at newsarama.entry and went and read the whole Marvel-DC crossover five-point thing, and I thought oh, it would be fascinating. You, you should just read Jim Shooter's blog on a daily basis because it's it's like that every single day. Every right. For example, he's got a series about the creation of Epic mm-hmm. that is just... It really, every single time he recounts the history of something, you have a, a, a dual rush of, wow, history from someone who's there, and there's no way this can actually be true. <laughs> because if it is true, the comic book industry would have collapsed because Jim Shooter was the only man who knew what he was doing. Right. Well, but, you know, I have to say, uh, again, always I'm impressionable, but when he was t- telling that whole story about how Paul Levitt's... Um, did the bizarre, like, you know, heard, like... This isn't in the contract. This this isn't in the contract. contract. Like, the contract says, and was being a total dick about it and fucking up his trip to to, uh, Britain, and then even saying, like, oh, have you been to Britain? It's amazing. And then talking about... (laughs) I kind of hope that's true, because that is almost hilariously fast progressive. It really is astonishing. I'm like, even at the same conversation? Really? It is, um, it is kind of... I'm just imagining Paul Levitz. You're like, Paul Levitz, he's like a really short... You know, he's not threatening in any way. The idea of Paul Levitz will be like, you're not going on that trip? That's horrible. Have you been to Britain? Britain is wonderful. I'm keeping you from going on that trip? That's really bad. But the contract, it's not me, it's the contract. But like I was saying, Britain's lovely. It's such a shame you won't be able to get to go there because yeah. I'm stopping you from going, but it's not me, it's the contract. Yes. I mean, it's just, wow. Yeah, I mean, that story really was, I was like... And there were enough elements of it that I'm like, I kind of... Uh, I'm a, I agree with... Uh, I, I would not be surprised. Let's put it that way. There was those moments of like... And it's weird. There's the even the lying liars have the truth like sewn into it. Like so, it's like I read all those posts and was like, huh. And then came across this section in Starlin's book where he talks about hammering out these contracts for um, 
And again, let me quote a page very quickly. Now, I know Jim Shooter's run as Marvel's top dog has been highly disparaged by many of my fellow freelancers. But I have to tell you, I always found the man fair and above board. The artists and writers up at Marvel and DC wouldn't have it anywhere near as good as they do now if it hadn't been for Shooter's part in these transitional dealings. It was Jim that kept telling the bosses at Marvel that the company would suffer if they didn't make it more tempting for freelancers to work there. He made sure everyone was paid for work done, benefits increased markedly for freelancers during his term as editor-in-chief, big changes happened under his watch. Eventually, Marvel and I finally hammered out a contract on the death of Captain Marvel and the Dread Star graphic novels that both sides could live with. After a while, Shooter got Marvel to start paying an incentive bonus, not a royalty, and reprint payments on their regular books. DC Comics soon did the same. It was a major game-changer. And he does say, like, he talks Starlin. Now, admittedly, Starlin could be taking time out from tooting his own horn to toot shooters. But he does sort of say, like, I was the guy who ended up dealing with these contracts myself. I had to learn the legalese, and I had to, like, I would talk with Shooter and Hobson. We would come to something that everyone agreed was fair, and then they would go back, and they'd come back with a contract that had thrown all of that out. I would go back, cross everything out in red line, give it back to them, and Shooter was the only guy who managed to keep these talks going. And I was like, that's kind of a pretty big achievement for somebody that I think of as like a horrible scum bucket, you know? So I, I've always had conflicted feelings about Shooter because you hear all of these horror stories, and there are a number of horror stories. Yeah. But also, you look at what came out during his tenure as editor in chief, mm-hmm. and there's some just truly fucking stunning stuff. And as a whole, as a company as a whole, I think it was the the high point, the most recent high point, apart from maybe I don't know, two thousand two ish. Do you know what I mean? Like I sure. for the across the line, right? And so it could be the thing where he personally was a terrible person. But he got the job done and he actually did create a, a, an atmosphere of creativity that hadn't been there before. No, I, I disagree. I, to me, I, I'm really like, I don't know. Like, I can't. This is my problem is I start going like, no, that's not the case. With the exception of maybe Miller, all the rest of those dudes had been established at Marvel beforehand. Some of them had been or established. Was, was Simonson really established though? Yeah, Simonson was really established. He was he had the Archie Goodwin and his Manhunter stuff back in 72, 73. That was a big thing. Now he went on to do like other stuff like you know the alien adaptation and i i'm not familiar enough with his history he could very well sit down and say but like he claremont and burn like those were guys and a lot of them make noises particularly burn and claremont like shooter was somebody that had to be suffered through he had dictates about the whole like showing the entire body like no, you know no, I, yeah i understand that but at the same time the work that came out but is, you know, i mean like but, as soon as he left yeah, so as soon it, as he left, starts. but before he came in, like, you have Starlin, you've got Englehart, you've got guys like Doug Monick and Master of Kung Fu. You've got a lot of really, really strong stuff going on. Gerber, I get, yeah. you you're, know what you're, I mean? You're probably entirely right. I, I, I might be a 
Shooter's era is very much like me as a child reading Marvel comics for the first time. Thing right. I have rose-scented glasses because you're you're listing people whose work I like and respect, and even then I'm like, but it's not the same. <laughs> well, and Burnham, Fantastic Four, and Simonson, and Miller, and you know Roger Stern, and right, and it it might just be that's my origin of Marvel comics right there. Right. Well, and that's and so it. it becomes really unassailable. Yeah. Thing, you know, but it's just because of our age difference. I really want to emphasize this is nothing more than the collision of of warring. It's the war of the rose colored glasses. You know what I mean? Like I think you can probably make a really good case for it. Because on the other hand, as much as I, unless they was with the exception of a book like Master of Kung Fu, um, you know, or maybe Englehart on Captain America, there weren't a lot of long runs. You know what I mean? Like. Claremont's run on X-Men, Claremont and Burns' run, you know, on X-Men, Burns' run on Fantastic Four, Simonson's run on Thor. Like, you got good, long kicks out of out of guys where it's like before, like, as much as I love dudes like, I don't know, you know, Jerry Conway, like, only did, like, maybe three years on Spider-Man, which is a huge long time compared to, like, God knows now in many ways, but, but, you know, there's a lot of guys who didn't do very long time. Now, admittedly, again, Starlin talked about how he was great as long as he was under Roy Thomas, but his problem was, you know, Marvel went through something like five editor in chiefs in the course of like two years. And the last one, kind of stunning. Yeah. I mean, and from what I can tell, like, Shooter may have been horrible, but Jerry Conway, in just a few months as editor-in-chief at Marvel, like, seriously, like, made Shooter look like a suave diplomat, you know? You you really should read more and more of Shooter's blog. Shooter also talks about Marv Wolfman and Lion Wing being editor-in-chief, mm-hmm. and how ridiculously um, Old Boys Network it was. Right. And how crazy the nepotism was to the point where they're creating titles for each other, not mm-hmm. not comic titles, but uh, oh, like honorifics, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that had no real reason to exist. <laughs> oh God! Well, yeah, no, I totally, I, and I'm sure that there's some element that's right. I mean, Shooter went on and put a, a really absurd other network in place as soon as he was in place of which some people were great like Louise Jones or it'd be very hard to bitch about you know Jim Shooter like he thought that Larry Hama was the bee's knees and would always get him work you know and then on the other hand he was apparently telling Pat Broderick that he would never work at Marvel again or he'd never get a raise no matter how great his art was you know so maybe it's just a whole nother phase of you know fucked up old boy network in place you it's know? true and and each network views the other one with like hatred and vengeance for robbing them of their birthright. I don't. It, it's funny. I was uh, listening to actually as someone suggested in the comments the Marty Pasco interview on Bird Balloon. Oh yeah, um, which is really good. By the way, <laughs> you should listen to it. Um, but he makes a really similar point, but in terms of creators, mm-hmm. he says every generation of creators is making comics that they consider better than the generation before them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're more in tune with their particular time, right? Uh, and I, I think it's the same thing. I think it's just you—it's a reaction to what came before. So it's like that was terrible. This is right, right? And and you lose the perspective, yeah, because you you get so focused on what you're replacing, 
Yeah. No, that's that is an excellent point. I have to say, we've apart apart from a recent quasi troll, we've got we've had excellent comments comments going on in the comment thread. There is a spectacular comment um, that I have to read because I read this morning. Was like that that makes my day so much. <laughs> on, loads comments. Okay, it's um, the comment is. The American guy's mirthless laughter, while the Scottish guy <laughs> from the website made me deeply, deeply sad. Otherwise, an interesting conversation with many points that it could find the itself. Dude. Whoever you are, that I, I that made my day. I, I thought that was so great. The American guy's mirthless laughter, while the Scottish guy reads an interview from a website. Dude. It's Dude. Like, it's, it's, it's the perfect description for this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, easy for you to say, because I, I, I got the adjective, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, mirthless, really? It's not mirthless, I'm... Your laughter was mirthless. I'm filled with mirth... No, I'm, I'm mirthful! Dude, I, I am Joe Mirth. Ask anyone, you know? Like, seriously, I'm all about it. No, it's, it's true, a... you, you come into a room and it's like a mirthquake. <laughs> oh, oh, Graham. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, you know, anyway, it's, I, it was, what it was great about it was it really was like with that second half of it, I'm like, huh, I guess he's not actually trolling. That's like him, like saying his thing. And yeah. I'm like, it's, it's spectacular. It's spectacular. <laughs> Fine. Wait till you get called mirthless. All of a sudden you'll be like, I don't know, that guy with a fucking reservoir. Yeah, I was trying to write my entry, the entry for episode 49, because that showed up just minutes before. I, I saw, before. with the spectacular Captain Britain. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I read Alan Moore's Captain Britain uh, this week. Oh, really? Continuing oh, my goodness. Please I, bestow I, your hate and bile I, upon us now. It's like you knew what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> first of all, early Alan Moore is always an astonishing amount to Chris Claremont. Oh, yeah. Secondly, it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> Have you read his Captain Britain run? Not in a while. I read the, oh, I read the, 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 the collection when it came back out, and I was I was underwhelmed, I have to say, it's, after waiting for such a It's just underwhelming. Honest to God, it makes no sense. It's actually, reading it so close to the original Captain Britain comics, the Claremont and Gary Friedrich ones, right. it has said, and I'm not exaggerating, Gary Friedrich run Captain Britain actually makes more coherent sense than Alan Moore's run does. Wow, dude, what? Oh my Seriously, god. Seriously, Alan Moore's run is... It's just, it's stunning because you can see all the things that he will later develop to become Alan Moore in Yes, Castle. absolutely, yeah. But he's missing the basics in so many ways. Yeah. And, and it's so... I mean, it's really the work of someone who has read and loved Claremont's X-Men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just there are parts of it though that you're just like, what? 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 What are? You, what happens? Huh? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, well, that's it. Like reading that stuff, which before had been like my only exposure to it had been little tiny page reprints in like uh, some issue of uh, David Allen Craft's comic interview magazine, like twenty some odd years ago. I was like, oh, it's great to finally read these, and I was kind of like. And of course, you know, Claremont apparently was a fan because he's never let go of the Fury 
Like he's been pushing to get the Fury for like twenty some odd years, and finally somehow was able to use him. Mm-hmm. But I just, um, you know, I'm kind of like, wow, I'm really glad that I read. What I think is fascinating is to me to read Marvel Man or V for Vendetta, you know, stuff that really is not much farther along the road chronologically. And yet, man, is there a world of difference? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's astounding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, I mean, uh, this is where I kind of want to go and look at the dates because I'm, I'm not even sure that V for, v for Vendetta is like it might even have been done at the same time as some of this Captain Britain stuff. Wow. But it's just, it's so different. It is, it's really different. And who knows, maybe he was trying to write in what he thought of as a more Marvel style, or it's, if that's true, because I mean, it's really, it really is, possible. it's hugely, hugely different from what you see in V and Marvel Man, and is a lot, you know, because I mean, I can go back and reread V and Marvel, Marvel Man stuff and be like, yeah, it's, you know, it's am- ambitious, but the the edges aren't sanded off, you know. Um, and I think this kind of returns to what you and I were saying about Fraction or Hickman or, uh, you know, comparing it to Morrison's Doom Patrol. Honestly, I don't feel like my, I'm like, it has to be a perfect, exalted, you know, girlfriend encounter experience. You know, I honestly feel that it's like, I'm totally fine with it being just a comic that has it doesn't need much to grab me. I mean, you mentioned Doom Patrol, and I remember having that feeling of picking up Doom Patrol, and it was like issue, I think it was part two or part three of Crawling from the Wreckage. Uh, There was a page in it, I don't even remember which one, and I was just like, I gotta read this comic, I gotta have this comic, I like this one page so much. Or, in Animal Man, it was the page where he encounters Superman, and I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to pick up all the back issues of this. I'm three issues in; I can get the first issue, the second issue, you know, and and even with more, I didn't even know that Moore had written that uh, Superman annual uh, when I encountered it in a Seven Eleven like one summer, and I picked it up and read the opening page or an inside page, and I was just like, okay, I have to have this, you know. And who knows, maybe part of the problem is, like you said, there's no, it's very hard to, uh, now... You can't grow up in quiet. You, you, yeah, you, you can't. You've got to do it in public. Yeah, everyone has to be, like, everyone, even the dopiest, most minor dude writing for DC has to, like, be out there pimping their work. Like, you could, you know, it's out there, like, giving interviews and full-on press, like, oh, here, let me tell you what's going on with this thing, and it's the most amazing... Like, who's the person who's writing Suicide Squad who keeps bagging on the original run of Suicide Squad? No, really? That's what I keep hearing about somebody... I I don't... I should look it up, but, like, on Twitter, somebody was like, dude, guy writing Suicide Squad, stop bitching about the original run. It's a huge mistake. And I, and I don't know who it is. I wonder if I can... And the, and the guy's name is Adam Glass. But I, has he really been talking... I don't know. I, I'd hate Because that, that strikes me as... Even if you hate it, that strikes me as a really bad way to talk right. up your book. Unbelievably disastrous, right? So, let's see here. Mm. Yeah, that, that strikes... Also, I've just discovered that um, Comic-Con Pulse still exists while looking for this. I oh, really? honestly, honestly did not know. Wow. Uh, in fact, he's 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 not, according to this interview. He says, I grew up reading Suicide Squad and nothing but the utmost respect for all those who came before me. Well, I'm sorry, what's that? 
He says, I grew up reading Suicide Squad and have nothing but the utmost respect for those who came before me. Oh, okay, see, so he's shit-talking. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have no <laughs> idea. I, that would be hilarious if he was. He's I, like, psych! <laughs> right. By which I say, they're all boners. Yeah, I don't know. It's like four... It, clearly, I could have sworn that I had somebody... Oh, somebody tell, needs to tell the dude... Writing Suicide Squad, stop dissing the original run, just talk about your book. Okay, this is... It, I read this from DC Women Kicking Ass, but I read the tweet. I didn't read the actual thing. So I don't know where... I could jump over and see where she pulled that from, I suppose. But she'll probably have it. She yeah, Sue so, so all this ten, Tends to source her yeah. stuff pretty well. But um, And that was back from 24th. Anyway, it may not be... Let, let's just say that there may have been possible misunderstandings... 